to the Corgi Town USA podcast. As always, I'm Candy Kemp, owner of Corgi Town USA, and in my lap is Chuckles, our spokes Korg, and he is also the president of the Corgi Committee. And with me always, I'm Catherine Cohen, mommy to Digby the Corgi, and uh, chairman of the Corgi Committee, and also mommy to uh, Wigan the honorary corgi we have now renamed him an australian cattle corg <laughs> an australian cattle corg <laughs> yes and in studio tonight um hammer has poked in a couple times as well he has um but booger is really enjoying uh, the studio with she's us tonight she's enthused she is she's being least. social she's being social yes and of course mortimer um and he is enjoying torturing her and she's not so you might hear a little uh a yep. protest bork yeah yeah from now and then and he definitely uh paws at his anti-cat uh yes, to does. pick him up so he will be popping in our camera frame i'm sure up and down so yeah it's as always corgi town usa where the corgis run the town that's right but i wanted to bring on um a guest that cares for a blind corgis um different kind of handicap um and this young lady has done some amazing work uh, with caring for some of these corgis. And I have lots of burning questions. Uh, my first corgi went blind at the end of his life. Yes. Um, that was age related. He just, he just lost his eyesight at the, at the very end. And he adapted quite well. So I have a little bit of experience with this, but I don't have experience with, um, young, yeah, yeah raising them up for their, right, their whole yeah. life. Yes, let's bring her on. So let's bring on Caitlin Whiteside. She cares for blind corgis. She does. All right. Caitlin, Hello. welcome. Hi, thanks for joining us tonight. Of course. And without the light, you still look great. <laughs> Thank <laughs> thanks. You. Yeah, we're we're going hard tonight. Yes. Now we're, uh, you know, the end of the night, we start looking <laughs> kind of rough. But you can't see that my hair is blue on the ends. And I that know. Really, yeah. I'm sorry. Anyway. Oh, well. Uh, <laughs> the sun went down on us. We've been partying that hard. <laughs> well, we wanted to uh, talk to you about uh, care. You know, this different kind of handicap, and we've talked to different um, parents of handicapped doggos. Uh, and I have a lot of questions. As I mentioned, my first corgi went blind. Um, it was age related. He adapted quite well, but there were things I learned to do uh, as far as not changing his environment right. a lot to cause stress. So things like moving furniture and, and things like that we didn't do. Um, so we just kind of adapted with, with what he did. And he, he did quite well towards the end. But I wanted to talk to you about you actually, you picked these, these dogs up young um and we've heard some of the kind of dangers of double merle breeding we know that you're not supposed to do but that does still happen um can you tell us kind of what what are some of the causes you you pick up these these puppies and, and tell us kind of how you got started yeah uh so i got started because i've been a quirky enthusiast since i was very young and i worked with some very reputable breeders well, my family did when I was a child and we got our first corgis. And of course, through that process, we came across corgis like all of us do that were not bred well and had Merle to Merle, had genetic abnormalities. And without getting too much into the science of it, you end up creating genetic deficiencies where you have um, a lack of 
deaf, a lack of hearing and a lack of sight, which are the most predominant issues that these dogs end up having. And that sort of um, changed the way that I viewed uh, animals in general on, on our responsibility towards them. And many years went by in my life and I became a dog trainer and decided to specialize in behavioral issues that they have. And um, this is something that has been in my life uh, pretty much since the beginning. Um, so that's how I got into it. And some of the difficulties that these dogs have are very unique, specifically around breeds like corgis who are herders, who have an instinct to chase prey for um, the purposes of leading them in a direction. If they can't see or they can't hear, sometimes that makes those directions go a little bit haywire and then their behavior becomes very changed over time. And, you know, like when you're speaking about your dog who went blind over time, that's also very common that corgis have eye issues. So yeah. that's not uncommon, you know, for owners to have. And when they encounter that, their dog can go through a period of extreme anxiety and fear. So we just want to give resources and tools to owners of every kind and um, to these dogs to have better communication with each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. And I love this work you're doing. It, it takes, I um, mean, it takes a special kind. Um, yes. You, yeah, you have to kind of, I imagine you kind of have to separate yourself emotionally at a certain point so that you survive um, <laughs> doing it. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. You actually, I think you have to connect in a, just a different way. I don't really see it as distancing myself. Um, some of the big challenges that we have in rescuing blind or deaf corgis is that you have to become um, familiar with the breeders who don't do um, safe practices mm -hmm. and you can't alienate them because um, more often than not, if they have a, a litter that has blind or deaf corgis, they end up euthanizing them, you know, mm -hmm. through horrible means um, that I won't get into. Yeah. Um, but if they know that they have a resource where how we can drop off these dogs, those dogs will have a life. Um, so while we're against the practice, um, it's a fine line that we have to walk in order to save those animals and also make ourselves more well known both in the reputable breeders community the community of corgi owners the veterinary uh, societies the rescues and then of course the breeders themselves who are not doing it properly where we don't want to encourage that right but we also want to give them a resource so that these animals have a life so that's the challenge that we face it, it is a, it, it's quite the catch-22 because you want to just throttle them and you can't <laughs> Yeah. You know, you yeah. just well, cat unfiltered, <laughs> cat unfiltered. Well, it, it's it it it's uh, it it breaks your heart, and yeah. and at the same time, you can't show that your heart is broken. You can't show that it's affecting you that way. You you're as you said, you need to welcome them into the community as well, so right. they trust you. Right, and and there's a there's a huge issue. Um, in the community, I'd say that there's several different levels of strict strictness. There's the people who want absolute strict rules and they will not allow any talk of it. And then there's the people who will allow some, but they obviously know the genetic issues. And then there's the ones who breed genetic issues without a care in the world. And while people like, oh, you, you see them all the time, I would say that a lot of those sites end up getting shut down. Um, and I really commend that because I don't want them to find customers, but I want right. them to find 
um, resources. <laughs> so right. from my perspective, that's a little bit challenging. Um, right. My main focus, though, is on what are the dogs experiencing themselves and what is the purpose of training, which the training is about giving these animals a voice for communication with uh, someone who can provide them resources, so an owner uh, or a person. And you think about training is such an odd thing in general with dogs. Like if we have a hard time communicating with someone who speaks our same language and is of our same species and is my same age, sometimes sure. I have a hard time talking to like my husband. <laughs> and then, and then you, you shift that around and you say, well, let's talk to an animal that's not my species, that doesn't speak my language, that's going through something totally different that I don't understand. And let's give us communication language that we both speak so that like, you can tell me that you have to pee. Right. <laughs> and then you add on the issue of, I also can't see and I can't hear. So um, fortunately, we've broken down what do puppies generally go through? What does a quirky breed go through? What are their natural instincts? So we kind of have a general understanding of what they want and what they need and where their level is of intelligence. And then right. we break it down more to um, what do they have already at their disposal they're really good at, which the number one thing is scent and touch. So we'll use um, scent icons around the home. So you mentioned, you know, you don't want to change the space. But what you can do is you mark, say, for instance, these candles without being lit, produce a scent that a dog can understand. And if this scent is associated with a certain area of the home, they know where they are at all times. Oh, So something like that that you, you place in different areas of the house, and then the dog knows where it is and can orient itself and things like that, that we try and give them resources for. So now that we understand kind of what that approach looks mm -hmm. like with training, how do you how do you scent train? So scent training can come in a couple of different way different forms. Um, there's short term scent training, which is a scent that might be uh, a, a, a treat that you put into. I mean, the most common one is even used for um, uh, sight, sighted dogs. Is you put a regular piece of dog food that you put in with say a piece of hot dog and you put like a bunch of dog food in it. So it smells like hot dog, but it's actually dog food. So you're not overwhelming the dog's kidney. Um, but that specific scent is right. the only kind of flavor that they get when you're asking them to do down behaviors when they're really hard at down. So they associate that particular treat and that particular scent with that one behavior for a while. And then you can expand it out. Um, that's for a dog who might be older, who has had no training whatsoever and doesn't really have the communication skills and has been blind for a while, like eight, nine months old, or even two years old. For a young dog, I do more touch training because that's what an owner is going to be. It's going to be easier for them. Scent training comes more naturally to dogs. Touch training requires the dog to be calm and, you know, not be like, oh my God, I'm going to not freaking out and then you're touching me and you're like oh my god you're petting me I'm so excited no 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 that's a command <laughs> right <laughs> that, that doesn't happen with puppies so um so there can be a couple of different resources that you use like for but there's long-term scent training which is for instance this candle without being lit again this probably has a five to ten foot radius so the dog can smell this before 
it encounters it um, without being lit. Um, now, if you have a dog that eats candles, <laughs> this might not be the best resource for you. You might have to put one of those lavender scented collars on, say, a, a kitchen doorknob or something like that. Um, but it will signal the dog that says, okay, I'm also associating that when we're in this space, we go to this specific spot and we lie down. Because in the kitchen, I'm not allowed to be crazy or, or go nuts. And so we use training with touch will lure them over with a scented treat say okay see this is where the bed is and this candle will be there the whole time and every time we do training we say, okay in the kitchen we're calm and then that scent is also associated with that complex behavior of when we're in this space we go to the bed and we lie down um so that's a i've basically given you 18 different commands that I would use one cent for that ultimately that's where we want that to go. Wow. Um, and <laughs> it, it's, it's scent and touch in interlaced. Right. Wow. Yes. And that's for very severely blind dogs. There are, fortunately you can do some tests when you first get a rescue that you can see how sensitive are they to light and to shadow. Cause if they're really, if they've got that ability then you don't have to only rely on those things on vibration collars or scent or touch. You can use a little bit of shadow training too. And shadow training is just using a big, oh, I don't know. This is a big board that I might use to block out light in front of the dog so that they know, okay, this means sit, this, you know, like a hand signal that they can recognize. Um, something to that effect. Wow, that's a, that's amazing. It, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of blown away. Do, <laughs> yeah. Do you foster the dogs, train them, and then find them forever homes? Is yours the forever home for all of them? How how do you work? So how does it work? We've never kept a dog here so far. Um, we've we've found homes for every single one of them. Um, probably eventually we'll, f I'll find one that I'm like, Oh, I can't let this dog go. But that, that would be a foster fail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. That would be a foster fail. But, um, I have two corgis myself, um, that are just my pets that are horribly trained because right. <laughs> spoiled, <laughs> they trained you, they yeah. trained me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, because most of the dogs that I get so far have either been puppies or, I'll do virtual training where I'll work with a, someone who already owns the dog and I'll say, okay, let's do some video and you show me what's going on and we'll go through an assessment um, and I'll give them some tips and, and then, you know, they obviously own their dog. Um, or if it's a foster, it's always been puppies and puppies are easy. Puppies are really pretty, pretty easy because they, they really want human attention and interaction. I mean, they're puppies. And you just train sure. them a couple of basic things and you teach the owner how to talk to the dog and how, and once the dog knows that they have an avenue on how they can communicate, that's really the goal. And then maybe we'll guide them every year or so if they need it. And can you almost see the stress level of the dog going down as they under, <sighs> as they understand that you understand? Yes. Yes, you know, it's so interesting that stress comes from from being um, 
from feeling uh, like you're alone, yeah. right? Especially as a, I mean, as any sentient being, but as a dog in particular, they want their companion animals. Um, and, you know, when you teach them the ability to communicate with the one area that they really want, which is usually humans, it's um, it's a miraculous discovery for them. And then they try to push it. Then dogs will actually teach you how they want to communicate right <laughs> after that um i've had some dogs that will um like pound against walls and things you know like do like this and they re- i'm like okay i mean that's you can you can clearly feel something i can hear something but right. you can clearly feel something and then we have to assess is that a communication skill that they can carry with them to their next owner's home because what if their owner's home is made of brick and that won't have the same sound effect? Or, you know, what if they like the idea, like sometimes some blind and deaf dogs who are deaf will even in, enjoy, say, a bell because they like the sensation of touching it, which is great for us. Um, but if they are going to encounter a person who isn't going to work with a bell well, then, you know, <laughs> so you have to, um, you have to, be taught and then reteach and it's just a a constant back and forth of communication yeah so what are the what are the complications um the complications of rescuing these dogs the major complications uh the major complications is um number one finding qualified people to own them who understand that unfortunately with corgis they're so adorable (laughs) that people tend to be um, more than willing to adapt to whatever the dog needs. Um, But there are, are, for every one person that is qualified to take a blind or deaf dog, there's a hundred people who say that they are. And then you ask them and they're like, well, it's like a dog. I'm like, well, I mean, yeah, but (laughs) you know, you have to like keep the training going. Right. Right. And that's, that's a real issue. The other issue is, um, we know the dogs are out there and they don't make their way into rescues as often as we would like. Um, you know, I've, I've seen posts. I try to go down my internet rabbit hole to find these dogs in bulls. I'll see posts for, Oh, 10 litters, you know, seven of them clearly are blind. You can just see it. And suddenly those seven are no longer available. So Mm -hmm. that's a huge issue. Um, and then, or by the time we get them, they've been so malnourished or they've, you know, they've been neglected and, and that's where, you know, it really hurts. Um, of course. Yeah. So that's a big issue. Um, but I would say that, um, the major issue obviously is the cause, you know, it's this, they're just there. It's their cuteness works against them. They end up breeding irresponsibly. And yes, yes, yeah, yeah. We tell uh, listener, viewer, we we always say, please, please use us as a resource. If you, um, of course, we're very pro rescue. Um, you know, we're glad to direct you that way. But if you want a puppy, please use us as a resource as well, so that we can give you the tools. We don't recommend any one or two breeders. We just tell you what to look for and what testing should be done and, and certain red flags and things like that. Absolutely. And if you have the heart, the patience, uh, I, I mean, I know I don't have the patience. 
I, I have the heart. I hate to see it, I but I would not have the patience. So if you have the patience. Well, the time too. And the time. You're yeah, a business yeah. owner. This yeah, uh, this is very intense. This right. is, you're, you're caring for a handicapped animal. You are now a caretaker. You're, yeah. And if, if that is what your heart calls out to, please reach out to us. We'll put you in touch with Caitlin. Please reach out to Caitlin. We need people who have the, the, the wherewithal, um, finances, time, patience to help Caitlin continue the amazing work that she's doing. Yeah. So, and go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I wanted to mention some fun problems though. The fun <laughs> Please mention the fun problems. <laughs> yes. So the fun <laughs> problems are scent wandering is number one or, or vibration wandering, which is where a dog gets a, they get a scent and because they can't see or hear, um, they're like 10 times more excited about it. So they follow it. And if you know anything about, I mean, obviously you guys do, but cardigans are wanderers sometimes. That would and be so, my son. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And we live on a farm. We take the training approach for all dogs that we want to um, push them into adulthood where they get to, act out their natural instincts as herding animals without restricting them to being a farm dog. So if they want to, you know, if they like our dogs are inside outside dogs and, but they have goats to herd and we teach them to do so. And we do the same for all of our rescues. If they want to, they can, and we teach them to do so. But um, if they're a puppy and they get a scent, they just go for it. They're like, Oh, we're, this is where we're going. And, you can't have 10 in different directions. There's only, there's only three of us. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just this, this effort to run and, and grab them before. And, and also to make sure that, you know, sometimes you have to put little bells on these little, little animals. <laughs> so that you know where they are. The corgi um, trackers. The yes. corgi trackers. Yeah. So that's, those are some fun problems that we end up having. Um, the, I would say also sometimes uh, my assessments on how much a dog can see or not see, it shifts over time. And I've worked with a couple of vets who've said as their eyesight progresses when they grow, sometimes they can gain or lose eyesight. Um, wow. And I did not is, know that. Right. Hmm. I didn't know that either. But that's I don't know that they know that. I think that might be a working theory. Um and, and I don't know what the criteria is for that. I'm not a veterinarian um, yet myself, but um, I'm interested to see, I would, I would like eventually to maybe keep one of these dogs and actually um, do some blind and hearing tests on, does that shift over time? Does it become better or worse? Um, mm. What do some actual blood panels and see if there's, any issues that shift um, biologically internally um, with wow. some of these issues. That's um, amazing. That's what I'd like to do some research on as we go. Because we're just uh, getting started. We've only been doing it for two or three years. Oh. So what are the, as you're rescuing, we were talking about double moral breeding. Um, and what are, what are some of the main causes of these issues that you're seeing? So, um, my understanding is that the, the genetic abnormality has to do with a chromosome that is missing. 
that ends up being missing when these um, these the genetics that cause, say, a merle coloring, um, when you combine them together, it's like they displace a chromosome and they cause an issue to to um, not create the uh, the optic optic nerve to function properly or the the hearing to function properly. And I don't know all of the science around it, but right. I I'm curious if if that ends up being I don't know how that would be a developmental issue later on. Or if that's something that maybe, because you do assessments on a dog every week for six weeks to try and determine what, how much they can see and how much they can hear when they're young. And I'm not sure, um, I'm not sure if that can shift, but that's, that's what I have, my understanding is that it can, and it does over time. Wow. Well, so, I, go ahead. I was, I was going to say, so uh, my my little boy is a Merrill, um, mm -hmm. and uh, um, I, I he's got some Merle. He has some Merle. We, we think he's probably a Pembroke Cardi mix somewhere right. in there, maybe not directly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I, I haven't done genetics on him yet, and um, it, really, I want to do twenty three and Me to see if he's uh, Italian, but that's oh. <laughs> he is bilingual. He is he is bilingual um, as, as as everyone should be. As everyone should be, yeah. But I, it, it, are there problems? You know, he, he wasn't a. I don't think he was a double Merrill. He is a, a foster, and yeah. you know, are, do they end up having problems? Are they bred that way, or? So, here the real issue that I've encountered on this too is that corgis already have um, issues with their eyes. You right. know, when they get older, sometimes like, you know, they just they have. Um, swelling behind the eyes or or tumors or something like that where they have eyesight problems or they just start going blind um and whether that's genetically related i don't think there's a lot of research that's been done on it because some of those issues are not traditionally associated with genetics you know but right. if there's an underlying genetic issue with the breed itself then obviously there's something going on that is systemic. sure um but my dog Milo is a what you know the the lay person would call an American corgi as well a Pembroke cardigan cross which is blasphemy in the internet's <laughs> but um, and he's Merle. There's no shortage of opinions on the internet. We know this, <laughs> right? Yeah. I, yeah, I know. Which is you know which is fine. I actually love that you know you're forwarding both breeds and you consider them to be separate. Um, personally, I have never experienced. Um, myself um, or the vets that I work with, a structural issue related to a Pembroke and, and Cardigan cross, which I know is one of the main issues that they say can be caused. And I haven't had um, a blind or any deaf issues or rescues come to me because it was a Pembroke Cardigan cross, only because it was those the the color combination. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, I'm I'm curious about. I think we need to do more scientific genetic research on what's actually causing these issues. I mean, we know what causes the blindness and the deafness from birth, but I'm right. curious if it's similar from late onset. Yeah. That'd be interesting to, uh, interesting to learn about, interesting to start taking notes on. I, I know for myself, I learned something about chickens. So I also have chickens besides the cat, two dogs, five chickens. There are bred certain bred chickens that, 
produce more eggs. Mm. And then they have a shorter mm -hmm. lifespan. Mm. So there's always, we mess with these things. There's something else that's going to give, unfortunately. Well, and to that point, um, we're going to cut you loose here pretty quickly, Caitlin, because we've had you for a good chunk of the evening. But um, I always, when people ask us for, for reputable breeders, there are certain things to look at. Uh, of course, we're all anti-puppy mill, uh, but yes. that can be hidden. Sometimes you don't know that your breeder's a puppy mill. Uh, there are plenty of online scams out there, but uh, we we try to recommend that you go to one that you can physically visit, uh, but also that protect the pups so that you can only see them after at least four weeks old or around that when, when it's safe for them to actually be handled by people. But yes. also, if you can actually physically visit these places so that you can see the condition of the animals, where they are, if the breeder doesn't want you to see where they are at all, that's a red flag. Um, but we recommend, of course, the big three testing, which is degenerative myelopathy, von Willebrand disease, um, and exercise-induced collapse, because those are some of the common genetic ones, which we know there's all the research is not out for sure, but we do know that those can be prevented by not breeding carriers and that the dam and sire should be tested. Yes. Um, but we also recommend hips and eyes, um, because of what we're talking about in, in, if they are if they're testing before they have less of an less of a chance to have that and those are some of the the issues that you can deal with um, down the line but what would you i would say if you're going to give us uh, one or two main points if someone says looking for a breeder what do you recommend that they look for i recommend that they look for and i mean from a training perspective i recommend that they look for a breeder who tries to teach basic socialization from the onset from okay the first week or so where they have, they're playing with the puppies, they're putting them on with collars, they have leashes and they understand some of these concepts even when they're very young. Um, so that you're not kind of getting given a puppy who's shocked that you're gonna do human things with them. Um, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> been in the crate since birth, yeah. Right, um, yeah. obviously you can't um, put a, a four week old puppy in a crate. But um, giving them the, uh, the opportunity to sniff them in their environment and to go in and lay down and come back out. And the parents obviously should be very well trained and should have excellent behavioral, um, uh, behavioral instincts around you. So if the mother and the father come up to you and they're really excited to see you, great. If they growl, <laughs> I would consider that to be uh, a bit of a red flag. The other thing that I also think it's important to recognize is that puppies have personalities, even from when they're very young. So when yeah. you're selecting your puppy, I would never select based off of color. When mm -hmm. you are going to see the puppy, you need to be able to sit in that space where the puppy naturally is with its mom and with its litter mates for at least 30 to 45 minutes if possible. I know sometimes these okay. transactions can be very quick, but a good breeder should allow you to sit, I mean, at the minimum 15, 20 minutes where you can just watch all the puppies and you see which ones go in the corner, which ones come up to you. And one is not necessarily worse than the other, but it is going to indicate what that puppy's going to enjoy later on in life. Know what you're in for. Yes, yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah. Know what you're in for. Um, a relaxed puppy is a puppy who may be relaxed as an adult. Obviously, there's teenage years to consider. <laughs> right. The teenage years. That's where we are with Mortimer right now. I think he's, 
I don't know if he's chewing on our uh, camera. <laughs> camera no, now, now he's chewing on the uh, on the uh, yoga ball chair. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, it was sure moving. He's making okay. his best effort to chew on whatever he, he can. is. He is. <laughs> Well, since he's getting surly, um, it's about time for them to eat. So we are going to let you go this evening. Thank you so much for sharing your story and yes. sharing your expertise with us. We and, really appreciate. And thank you for the work you are doing. Yes. Of course. Of course. Thank you. Definitely. And hopefully we can have you again. I'm sure we could talk for hours of going oh to different God. tributaries. And so we'll have to have you back on in a future season and talk a little bit more about some of this stuff. Absolutely. We'll do. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Have a great thank night. You. You too. Bye. Bye. I'm so touched. Yes. That, that's that's amazing work. Yeah, it is amazing work. And like I said, I had, I'd had a little bit of experience caring for Lilo, but right. um, Lilo also lived in the same house most of his life. So it was a little easier for it, him to adapt. Much more so. And yeah, it, it, um, they, they, these dogs can be trained and, and, just by training them, you're giving them a better life. Yeah. And adopting them, you're giving them a much better life. So that's wonderful and amazing work. And as I said, it's, it's, yeah, the time, it, money and, um, and just the patience. If you've got that, think about adopting a little pup that really needs you. An emotional fortitude. Yes. There's that as well. Well, I guess we should sign off tonight. We are signing off. Dear listener, dear viewer, if you liked this video and are watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. Um, otherwise, you can listen on to the audio on your favorite podcasting platform. Please follow us uh, on Facebook, on TikTok, on Instagram, or even on LinkedIn because we are professional Corgos. That's right. Um, but thank you so much. We're here for you every Thursday. All things Corgi, pet lifestyle, candy, cat, chuckles, Mortimer, booger. I don't know where everybody is, but they're all Digby, here. Digby, Wigan, Digby, Wigan, Hammer. Hammer. They're all, they're all yeah. somewhere. Yeah. So um, have a wonderful evening from all of us here at the Corgi Committee. Thanks for joining us. Good night.